Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is July 10th, 2014. This is episode 1385 of the Survival Podcast. And I got a cool one for you today. And I got like a fun, lighthearted, enjoyable, just cool thing to talk about today. Imagine if you could go to the beach and you were fishing for big fish, big red fish, big sharks, big rays, big, big fish. The fish that are out past that third sandbar that you can't reach. To, you can't reach. I mean, you get past that second sandbar and go to that next gut and it's just deep. You're swimming over your head. It's way out there, like three football fields out. And if you had a cannon, you could put your bait in that cannon and push a lever and boom. Splash 300 yards away, a big bait sitting out there waiting for that big black tip shark or other big fish to take. And you could just set it up and do it again and again and again and have multiple rods out. And one of these things could just go down the beach with you and your friends and have, you know, 10 rods way out there, out in the deep dark blue. What if you could do that? You can. You can. It's called bunker up fishing. It is so awesome. The guy that I'm going to have on for you here in a minute is a guy named Dan Triano. And I am really, really excited about this for a variety of reasons. One, I want one. And you'll hear me want one more through the interview. Um, without trying to, Dan totally sells me on the concept. Um, number two, Dan is from a place called New Ringgold, Pennsylvania. As most of you know, I grew up in Schuylkill County, Pennsylvania, and went to school at a place called Pottsville, PA. Uh, and uh, actually spent most of my time in a place called Minersville, Pennsylvania, really a little, little hamlet called Jonestown that's made up of two roads. Uh, they're now called the Low Road and the High Road. Officially, back in the day, the addresses were RD1 and RD2. That gives you an idea of the size of that place. Um, he, in New Ringgold, is about 15 miles from where I went to high school, and he's surrounded by the rivers, creeks, streams, and state game lands that I grew up hunting and fishing in. It is not exactly a metropolis there. It's not exactly a place where people are building new businesses. And Dan's building a business that you'll hear about today that's already gone international. So to see, and, and working with kids on top of it all. So he's just an awesome guy. And it's great to have somebody that's basically from my hometown area uh, doing these great things. And, and, you know, unlike me that had to leave to do it, he's doing it right there at home. Anyway, before I bring Dan on, let's go ahead and take care of our housekeeping. Housekeeping item one, as always, let's take care of those sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day number one today, Harvest Eating. Hey, if you catch a really big fish, you're going to need to know how to cook it. Guess who can tell you how to do that? Chef Keith Snow, you're probably going to want to put some really awesome seafood seasoning into what you're doing when you're cooking fish. Guess who has that? Chef Keith Snow. Seriously, if you want to learn how to cook seasonally and locally and get some of the best ingredients for your cooking, you'll find anywhere. Partake in a great podcast. See an awesome, awesome YouTube channel with great cooking stuff on it. Way better than you're going to see on TV. Check out Chef Keith Snow of HarvestEating.com. And uh, when you're over there looking for the spices, if you want all the stuff I love, just get the TSP Ma uh, Monster Pack. That's uh, something Keith put together. I don't even think he told me about it. Uh, but it has my four favorite spice mixes in very large quantities. Next up today, WesternBotanicals.com, herbs of a different kind. 
If you're sore from working in the garden before you reach for that ibuprofen, think about releasing for reaching for maybe the anti-inflammatory uh, stuff that they have over there. That's made mostly out of turmeric or their pain uh, pain relief formula that also has valerian in it. They have everything you could ever want from a herbal standpoint. I believe that herbs are a safer, gentler alternative than over-the-counter pharmaceuticals. And frankly, everything from prepared preparations to individual whole herbs and everything in between you'll find it at Western Botanicals, along with real people that really care. If you pick up the phone and call them for assistance, they will help you out. They are awesome, awesome folks. They also have an incredible discount program. Uh, that discount program is $50 a year. It's 25% off everything they sell. If you use herbals like I do, that's a great deal. It more than pays for itself. But if you're a member of my support brigade, guess what? You get it for free for the first year and half price for consecutive years. So that's if you want to keep it. Check them out today, westernbotanicals.com. One of the longest term and biggest supporters TSP has. By the way, Chef Keith gives you a discount if you're MSB as well. Make sure you're getting that discount. Chef Keith's awesome. The MSB is awesome. Member support brigade, guys. That's how I pay the bills around here. That's why I'm able to deliver the type of quality content that I do for you guys five days a week an hour to three hour show a day. Uh, you know, we put a lot into this and we're living our dream because of you guys. And the way that we do that is through the MSB's revenues. And so consider joining today if you haven't done so. It comes out, if you do the math, 18.3 cents an episode. I'll get you great discounts on stuff like Harvest Eating and Western Botanicals. So I'll pay for you to buy it. Isn't that awesome? Seriously, uh, do consider doing it. And uh, on that note, Before I bring on Dan, I want to point something out today. Um, I talked to Dan about MSB as soon as the show was over. It really didn't occur to me for some reason up front. And I don't like to approach people that are coming on the show as a guest for MSB discounts before they get a feel for the show and the audience and what things are like. This is a pretty big ticket item. So um, I talked to him after it. He's willing to do something. He's working out how to do it. I get the feeling Dan is the structural engineer and his girlfriend is the technical engineer and that she does the website stuff and he was going to go back to her and he's going to put together a discount for MSB. So if you're an MSB member and you're thinking this thing's cool, I want one, you know, uh, either wait till we get that set up for you or get in touch with Dan and say, Hey, I'm one of Jack's MSB members. Um, I know you're going to do something. Can you, can you do something with a direct invoice or something like that? You know, uh, because if he knows you guys are interested, it will motivate him to become a long-term member support brigade supporter. And what a cool thing to have. These things are selling in Australia, New Zealand right now. Um, and right here in Texas. And frankly, like I said, I want one. I'm going to buy one before I bring Dan on though. It is episode 1385. So we must time travel back to the year 1385. Today's story is one of an independent Portugal put together by Alex Shrugged at TSPWiki.com. If you want to see the other great history segments today, they are The King Wears a Skirt, about the king that is actually the new queen of Poland at 12 years of age in Hungary. It's complicated. But I'm going to read to you an independent Portugal. After a botched attempt at marital diplomacy, the abortive siege of Lisbon, King John I of Castile returns to Portugal to bring them to heel. Portugal has named a new king, the bastard son of King Pedro the Cruel. The Portuguese call their king, new king, King John the Great. You can imagine what he was called by the Castilians. The Castilians come in force with 32,000 infantry and knights. In comparison, Portugal's defense forces are extremely small, and John of Gaunt, 
who's now the king of England, has sent only 600 longbowmen to help. Fortunately for Portugal, these bowmen are veterans of the Hundred Years' War, and they know how to kill knights. The Portuguese take the high ground at a choke point north of the city of Alcobasha, and frankly, it's all high ground except the road passing through. They dig trenches to slow down any cavalry charges, and longbowmen do their job with skill. It's a decisive win for Portugal. The war for independence is not over, but the rest will be small skirmishes in comparison John the Great will remain the king of Portugal. My take by Alex Shrug, who puts these together for us. The battle is a little more complex than I'm portraying it here. The steep slope on the north side of the hill forces the Castilians to swing around and get behind the Portuguese, all the while getting hammered by the English bowmen. Then, as the Castilians charge up the more gentle slope, they hit the ditches, and the bowmen continue to break up and scatter the charge. It's a new tactic for the Middle Ages, and it's worth studying. King John the Great will build a monastery there to commemorate the battle. My take is, this is 300 all over again. History repeats itself. You have an overwhelming enemy. You funnel your enemy into a place of your choosing. You choose the time and the place of battle. And you adjust the tactics. So in this case, taking the high ground was the key, and often the high ground is the key. But if you read history going back, you know, as far as written history exists, you see examples of this. You even see in the Bible, you see examples of battles that were fought by using the sun, right? And where the sun rises to put the sun in the eyes of your enemy. Um, that's actually also something you see uh, from the art of war is another place that you see that, that tactic pop up. Uh, so it's really not so much about a funnel to a tight place and a high ground. It's about if you have an overwhelming enemy, if you can choose the time of the battle, the place of the battle, the conditions of the battle, and push them into a point where they favor you, and then from the art of war, follow the one last commandment of warfare that is the way to never lose. Never fight a battle you can't win. If your choice is between fighting a battle you're going to lose or not fighting the battle, avoid the conflict until such time as you can set up the arrangement for the battle so that you know that you'll win. And that's been very effective. This is just one more example of the chess game that goes into setting that up. You've got cavalry on horses. Fine. Let them try to charge up a steep hill on that horse while longbowmen rain arrows down on them. They have a gentler slope they can try another flank for, so disrupt them with trenches and rain arrows down on them. The longbowmen of the time um, are also underappreciated in today's world. I think we see them as, you know, arrow, pfft, arrow, pfft, arrow. Pfft. These guys are actually much faster than that. Good bowmen of the day could fire four arrows, and the fourth arrow would leave the bow before the first arrow hit the ground. I can't remember the guy's name, but there's a guy that's either in like Sweden or Finland or something that studied these old methods of archery where these guys hold like four arrows in one hand and they're, they're drawing like a machine gun when they shoot. And uh, the accuracy and speed, I can't remember again the guy's name to look it up, uh, but if somebody sends it to me, I'll, I'll put it, a link to it in the future show notes, is unbelievable. And if you think about the fact that a dedicated archer at the time really has nothing other than to do but drill and practice archery, they might become pretty good at what they do. And it's an example, again, of an overwhelming force not being so overwhelming. And we can use that same tactic, not just in warfare, but in life. 
What we need to do when we have what seems like insurmountable odds against us in getting something done is pick the time and place of the battle and stack the odds to favor us even though it seems overwhelming against us. And many times we can develop victory right out of the jaws of defeat. Anyway, with that, let's go ahead and get into the main topic of today's show. And uh, it is my good pleasure to uh, bring on the air right now a guy from my neck of the woods up in Pennsylvania, Dan Triano of Bunker Up Fishing, to talk about the Sand Blaster, which can put a bait over 300 yards out to where the big fish lurk. And uh, with that, hey man, Dan, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Well, thank you very much, Jack. It's a pleasure to be on your show. Hey man, I'm glad to have you with us. I, I kind of have you on for like three reasons today, three motivations. One, your product's just cool as shit. <laughs> Reason number two, like we talk a lot about a lot of serious stuff on this show and all, and having something kind of just fun and, and cool is is awesome too. And the other reason is you, you've built a business out of it from a completely original idea. Yep. So those are all right in line with you know my audience. But before we get into to the sandblaster, which is just again the coolest thing I've seen in a long time, um, can can you tell us just kind of what led you? down the path to building a air cannon to shoot bait 300 yards out in the ocean. You know, how did you, I know where you grew up. You grew up right where I did, but, you know, how did you get into the outdoors and fishing? Is it just like everybody else from up there that it's just what everybody does? Yeah, sure. It's, uh, it came about for a few reasons. I mean, uh, I had stopped surf fishing uh, for a while. I was basically a trout fisherman, fished a lot of streams in PA and stuff in New Jersey and, uh, you know, I had fished the, the ocean a few times and just realized that a lot, of, you know, you drive down there, you spend a lot of money and bait and gas and, you know, you're throwing your line out, you're not getting it out far enough, you're only catching little stuff in the surf. And it got to be to the point where it's like, wow, I'm spending three, four hundred dollars to get down here and buy bait and, and fish in the ocean, but I'm not really catching anything worthwhile. It seems like you almost got to get your line out further. Uh, to get something big, and there was an area out there that I thought was unexplored, uh, except for kayakers and guys that could fly kites and, like, drop baits out there, which was very few guys were into that at the time, and I thought to myself, man, it'd be great if you could just, you know, blast it out there, <laughs> and, uh, you know, we were, I was uh, hanging out with a couple friends of mine, and uh, just two guys I was pretty much looking to get away from, because, <laughs> We were pretty well, we were doing nothing but just cooking out and drinking beer. And, and I thought to myself, wow, you know, I, I got a lot more to offer this world. And, you know, it's way more than just sitting out here cooking out and drinking beer. And, uh, just so happened one of my buddies said, Hey, man, you want to go fishing down the beach? You know, I, I like, I like surf fishing. I said, Yeah, well, if you can't throw out, it's really not worth it. I said, I don't want to waste a couple hundred dollars going down there. I said, I'm pride myself on being a pretty good caster. I could cast a hundred yards. But I still wasn't catching anything worthwhile. So I explained that to them, and and they said, well, maybe we should get something. Maybe we should try to build something to get it out there. And I said, well, what do you have in mind? And uh, within a few days, we had kind of welded together a prototype. And, uh, you know, we blasted a couple things, and, and it didn't go where we thought it would go. And in the beginning, we were like, you know, this isn't going to sell. I could almost throw that far and, and, you know, pretty much ready to give up. And then, uh, me and my one buddy 
said, hey, what if we put the weight in the, fo- in the front of the thing and slid it down backwards and use the weight as a dragger and the line as a trailer, and maybe it'll stabilize the bullet. Because what we were having was it was tumbling in the air, and it was only going about 150 yards. So we just made the prototype bullet. We put a weight in it, carved it out of wood, and stuck the lead in the tip and connected a line to, like, a wooden bullet with a lead tip on it. We, sl- we slid it down the barrel at 100 pounds, and when we blasted that thing, our, we were all just standing there like our jaws were open, and we're like, holy crap, like, <laughs> did you see how far that thing went? That's when we knew we had something, and it was just a matter of, uh, you know, research and development and just keep, you know, keep the idea uh, what we had going, but improve on it. And, uh, that's what we did. And then we figured out that, Hey, we could freeze this thing. We can, we can put a big rig in there. We can make specifically designed sinkers that fit in the mold. You know, then we developed the mold to go with it that, you know, pretty much fit right inside the barrel. And, uh, since then it's just been a matter of just tweaking it, making it better. But, you know, right off the bat, we knew we had something that, uh, just a prototype alone, you know, people were just blown away by. So we knew once we, you know, fine-tuned a little bit, we'd have something we could sell. And uh, here we are, you know. I'm selling them like mad. I, I, uh, you know, I've uh, sold like 12 in the last two weeks here. And, sure. you know, it's a $900 item. So, you know, it's sometimes that's a tough sell. But to a fisherman, you know, they want to catch fish. And they're willing to spend whatever it takes to do that. So, you know, for them, it's not a lot of money, especially when it does what, what it says we, you know, we, what we what we tell you it does, and it's really built to last. You know, as a as a, an entrepreneur and a guy starting a new company, I just wanted to build something that I knew was going to last. I'm sick and tired of buying stuff, junk at stores. You buy it, you use it one time, it breaks. You know, you spend a lot of money, you get aggravated. So I wanted to stay away from that. I wanted to make sure we built something that was quality and that people could use for years and years and uh, actually become a benefit to us as far as, you know, getting out there, using it every year and, and being like sales reps for us. Because when they're out there blasting it, I just get bombarded with cold phone sure. calls and, and sales. So, you know, they act like worker bees for me. And uh, right now, that's where the snowball's rolling. I mean, it started out last year. It started to pick up, and then in this past year, we really started rolling, and now since we've been on a couple television commercials, and, uh, you know, we've got some stuff going on in New Zealand with Toyota, uh, things are just really rolling around. I just had recently, today actually, I had an inquiry from South Africa. Uh, they played our Discovery Channel uh, Animal Planet episode out there, and people are going crazy. They all want it, and... You know, so it's just right now I got a lot to do with just getting set up in other countries and, you know, trying to keep my uh, customers here happy, you know. So I'll tell you, and I mean, I haven't said this for the audience yet. We talked a little bit about the fact that I, I did grow up right just up the, the up away from you a bit in uh, in Pottsville. And the region there is really full of great people, but. You, you don't see a lot of business development going on there. There's a lot of people like me that in our, you know, our, our late teens left right after high school to go find some opportunity. So as a complete aside, to see someone developing a business and reaching out in the international markets in a single year uh, from my old, you know, 
piece of uh, of coal country, basically, <laughs> is, is really awesome, man. So it, it, it really inspires me to see you doing that there. It's crazy because I'm three hours away from the ocean and I invented a fishing launching system for the ocean. <laughs> yeah, I can't see this being used on, like, Blue Mountain Lake very often or anything like that. You probably parts of it you get across. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, just for people to understand that maybe haven't seen the videos yet or whatever, and I'll have links to all this stuff in the show notes, but what you've got is this air cannon that launches a bait with a specially designed rig about 300 yards out for, off, for, for, for fishing from shore. Yes. And that's, that's awesome in and of itself. You talked about some other ways. I've done um, fishing for shark from shore, and we've done things like take baits out with kayaks and stuff like this. To me, the advantages are pretty dead gone obvious because you talk about other ways guys get baits that far out that are you know basically shore fishermen and how this has advantages over those those options. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, you got, to, you know, most guys, if you look at the definition of surf fishing, in general, it's based on getting your line out as far as you can. I mean, that's why they make the long fishing poles. You know, there's a huge market there that they, you know, they, they convince people that, hey, if you buy this long pole, you can throw it out further. So, you know, everybody's, you know, trying to get their bait out as far as they can. You know, you got kayakers, you got remote control boats, you got kite flyers, you got guys building slingshots, you got surfboarder guys charging people to take their baits out. Uh, I mean, it's just, it's endless. And when you, when you try, when you look at all those things, you say to yourself, okay, what one is the, is the one that's going to give me the least amount of effort and the most amount of gain as far as putting me in a position to get a big fish? And, you know, you just have to go with the sandblaster. I'm not saying that because I built it, but I'm saying it because I've, I've, I've done all those other things, and I've seen them all in action, and I, I've seen kayakers flip their kayak over with bait in their pocket, and, you know, I mean, there's just all yeah. kinds of things going on on the beach that, you know, there's no lifeguards on the beach where I surf, so if you get in trouble out there, you know, you could seriously be injured or, you know, lose your life. So, you know, is that worth it to try to do that with that type of fishing now the other ones where they you know they use remote control boats you know that aspect of it okay that's pretty cool but then you have to worry about electronics failing you know you got a thousand dollar boat going out there with your line and then all of a sudden it don't come back because the batteries go dead or something gets water gets in there so you know there's a lot of disadvantages to those things and when i look at my product i say What's the benefits and what are the disadvantages? And when I look at the disadvantages, there are not. I mean, you're on the beach, you're traveling out there anyway, so you're basically carrying gear no matter what you do. So why not carry a little more gear, and especially some gear that can get you where you need to be? Um, and, uh, and a matter of, I just was told my girlfriend, I called her when I was on the beach last week. I said, I just drove out here. I said, I pulled in. I set up, set up my canopy, which I have connected to my truck. I set up my table, set, pull all my coolers off the truck. I blasted two baits with my bait launcher, and I was sitting in my chair smoking a cigar and drinking my cup of coffee in 15 minutes. And I had two baits out there 300 yards. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, if you look at just the ease of transport alone versus even a kayak, yeah, you know, it takes up a lot of space in the back of a truck or on the roof of an SUV. Your product doesn't take up much space. Um, and then 
I, I, I kind of, you know, laugh when you're talking about sitting around drinking beer. I don't want to sit around drinking beer and camp my whole life, but when I go fishing at the beach, that's kind of what I want to do. I want to sit there and have a cigar and drink a beer and hang out with some buddies, and I don't want to spend a lot of effort, um, you know, trying to get a line out there. I actually like to fish a little further in for a lot of other things at the right time in the right situation. But we were talking, I fish Florida, you're fishing, you know, Jersey. Yeah. And if you're out there in, like, October, it's freaking cold. Yeah. And you don't want to be in that water either. And then my other thought is, when we fish, we'll fish for, like, black tips and lemons down in, in near Fort Myers. And at night, when you're walking out, like, through that second gut to that third bar up to your neck as the sun's going down, and you're trying to get as much out of it as you can, you're also thinking, the reason I'm fishing for these guys now is this is when they're out, and I'm up to my neck 150 yards for sure, and, and I've got to walk all the way back through there in the half dark, and, you know, there's bulls down there too, and, you know, it, it's not frequent, but guys do get bit, and being able to just sit on shore and let something else take care of all that seems very appealing. Oh, my God, yeah. And, and, you know, I always say this to everybody, you know. They say, well, I was fishing close because that's where all the fish are. I say, well, that's what you think because that's as far as you can throw. Sure. Okay? If you were able to throw out further, you would realize that the real big bull fish, whatever they be, bull reds, bull, they're just beyond that sandbar. Really, mm-hmm. that's where the small, and every, every so often you'll get a pile of bait fish come in, and then all them big ones will come in the shore, you know, chasing that bait. But, you know, when the fish are just there, generally there, they're hanging on the side of that sandbar because it's an ambush point for them. They want to wait till that tide goes out, drags that bait back over that bar, and they just sit there picking it off. So you really want to be on the other side of that because that's, Really, where the majority of the big fish are. I'm I'm not saying that they're there all the time, but if if there aren't a lot of fish in the water, you're not going to catch anything in close. You'll catch some big ones over that bar. When well, and they use that when you, once you go over that last bar in that big deep gut, those fish use that like a highway too. They travel up and down the shoreline oh, yeah. in that gut. So if you're sitting in that gut, it, it's like you're even if you, you're not sitting where that fish is right now. It's kind of like fishing a river versus a lake. When you fish in a river, if you're in a good channel or something, like a center light or something's coming through. And, right. and what you're doing is you're putting that bait out there in that main travel thoroughfare where those fish are traveling up and down through there. Um, so, you know, that is where everybody would like to be. And all the guys that, that root, not just the guys that catch a shark here and there, the guys that routinely catch shark know that. That's one way or another, that's where they're getting that bait out to. Yeah, and you're looking at you're looking at like people catch sharks, people catch red drum, they catch black drum, they catch bluefish, stripers. I mean, all these fish are cool and they all taste good, you know. But when you eat a shark, <laughs> I mean, seriously, it it blows those other fish out of the water. And a lot of guys don't eat sharks because they think, oh, it's shark, it's nasty. You know, I just like catching them. But it's a really good fish to eat, you know. I don't, I don't, I frown upon people taking little ones that are undersized and stuff. But hey, if you're uh, out there and you get one that's legal and you want to keep it, it's a great table fare. I mean, compared to the other fish, I put it at number three on my list. And in some cases, when it comes down to a black tip and stuff, that's like number one for me. Oh, they're they're awesome. They're just absolutely awesome fish. And the people that say like, well, you shouldn't keep sharks, are like. It's a fish. I don't think we should keep, like, 
I think the reason people feel that way is because so many of them have been just wholesale slaughtered over the years. But I can tell you, as somebody that spends a lot of time in the water, the shark population is doing pretty daggone good. Yeah, and, uh, well, I, I think the other fish populations are the ones that are suffering because the sharks seem to be coming in closer now, and you're getting a lot more, you get a lot more sharks in closer to shore, and it's, it's showing up on the, you know, on the TV and stuff, but, you know, that, that might have to do with, you know, water conditions or, you know, but just basically bait in general as far as, you know, is there is there enough bait in the water to keep them happy out in deeper water, or do they have to come in closer to get the bait now? So, you know, there's a lot of variables, but we tag sharks for NOAA, so, you know, I get involved in that, and, and uh, you know, every once in a while, you know, we'll, we'll keep one that's legal just to eat, but the majority, I'd say 95% of the sharks, 9 to 99% of them, we throw back with either tags on them or just a nice picture and a big smile. <laughs> you know, it's just all about the fight for us. We just like watching the pole bend and, you know, hook into a 150, 200 pound bruiser and, you know, have some fun. So yeah, definitely. You know, if we can, if we can help Noah, uh, you know, with the, the research end of it while we're doing it. And I explained this in my last blog on my, uh, on my Facebook page and on my website that, you know, you got to pick your battles when you're tagging sharks. You don't want to, you know, you're fighting a big one for a while and you know he's worn out. You don't want to pull him in and try to tag him and, and uh, uh, you know, try to try to measure him and, and sex him and, you know, all that stuff and record it all because he's stressed out. So, you know, we take our time and, and take and pick our battles as far as, okay, we got this one in pretty quick. He's really lively. Okay, we can take some measurements on him, get a tag in him, and and get him out. There was a couple big sharks we caught last weekend. You know, we got tangled up in some guy's line, and it just took a little bit longer for us to get the shark in. So, you know, we didn't tag any sharks last weekend, um, but uh, we look forward to doing that the rest of the year because we got uh, – bunch of good shark fishing left we got a couple months coming up here where it's just filthy with them out there in the summer and uh you know we look forward to it what is your kind of your bigger overall goal for the company where do you where do you see this going and what are some of the things you're you're trying to accomplish beyond just selling a really great product well i want to you know i want to be global i mean that's that's a, that's going to be you know a spin-off of, of, of me being a success here but uh it just seems like other countries take fishing a lot more seriously than some states in the United States. So, you know, it seems like I have just as good, if not a more of a fan base in other countries uh, when it comes to surf fishing. So, I mean, a lot of other countries fish for survival. You know, they're not just yep. fishing to, you know, to catch a shark and, and take a picture like, you know, majority of the people in the United States do. So, you know, we, we throw a lot of fish back here, but other countries, they they, they fish to live. So, you know, they're looking at me as a as a form of feeding their family, and hey, I invest in that thing, I could get some bigger stuff, and you know, maybe uh, fill up the freezer a lot faster. So, you know, there's a lot there. That's why the global aspect of it, uh, I'm really interested in. And uh, you know, I always want to help kids and, and and get kids involved in the outdoors. So, you know, eventually, I'm hoping I could start a camp for kids where I could teach them how to do a lot of things with their hands and then, you know, take them out fishing and show them, you know, the, as the aspects of my company as far as the sandblaster and, you know, what it does and, you know, how it affects people and, and, and the beach. And, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm, 
I'm going to call it bunker up camp for kids, you know, so I'll have have buff bunker up fishing, and then I'll have bunker up camp for kids, which will be called buck, and maybe get like a program where I have maybe take on 10 kids a week from the city or places where it does, you know, they don't see the outdoors and, uh, you know, try to try to get some outdoor entertainment jammed down their throat so they they can they can be an outdoorsman for the rest of their life because they don't get a big chance to see a lot of that stuff and you know it always it always uh i just had a kid up here last uh last week from reading and his dad dropped him off he had to go look at a job and i i just had him around riding four-wheeler and fishing and in my pond and stuff and i just just saw how much he really liked being here. You know, it's not the concrete jungle that he was grew up in. It's just a totally different atmosphere, and he he really took to it. So it it really goes to show you that if you you know you stick kids in a different environment, ninety percent of them are going to grab a hold of it. And that's really what I want to do is try to get them, you know, the kids that are in the city away from so much of that city activity that you know it's like it's not a lot of it's bad, but you know there's so much more in the outdoors that you can uh enjoy to take up your time and you know and hopefully they'll pass on the things that i teach them and keep the ball rolling you know yeah and i mean i think there's such a need for it with children that grow up you know not out in the sticks kind of like you and i did i mean if you think about it reading is a pretty sizable little city but it's not exactly a metropolis so if kids from reading have this problem you start thinking about kids from philadelphia yeah or newark or, you know, Cleveland or what have you. I mean, it's like a, a, a nature desert, right? It's like the nature's just like nature to them is like a city park or a zoo. Oh, right. uh, and they don't get that experience. I, it, 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 you know, and the other thing that kind of makes me think of you talked about the international markets. I think part of the reason that maybe you see so much success in international markets with this surf fishing is. We're kind of spoiled here if you get outside of the cities with opportunities for fishing. You could probably name off the top of your head 20 to 30 places you could be fishing within 25-minute drive of where you are right now. In a lot of countries, people don't have access to a lot of the freshwater uh, fishing that we take for granted here. So for them, the shore is where it becomes public and where they have access. And and I, I think that a lot of times maybe... You know, without taking advantage of the amazing opportunity we have in this country for opportunities outdoors, we, we're squandering something, especially for our kids. So I'm really glad to see you doing that because there's a lot of countries where you 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 know it's if you're not somebody with a title after your name, you don't get to go do things like that. Yeah, I mean that's you know it's it's based on where you're at and you know uh, your contacts and, and how you can get there you know i mean and for me it's like boom i have to drive three and a half hours or four hours just to get to the beach to go fishing so you know it, look at it just shows my passion for the sport you know i could you know i i, I want to build them here but you know i fish there so it's you know sometimes it's a little taxing for me but hey if i'm willing to do it i know there's a million other guys out there that are willing to do the same thing and, you know, when I get kids involved, they become, you know, fans for life, you know. So, you know, that's that's what I want them. I want to teach them that, hey, man, you can do whatever you want to do if you put your mind to it and work hard and, and uh, you know, look at the great thing you can create if you just stay in the game and stay focused, you know. And uh, I think, you know, this past week I had a couple kids on the beach that really impressed me as far as, 
you know, just young guys wanting to help me out, loading the bait, ramming the baits down the barrel, shooting it. You know, I had one little kid, Kevin, he was, I think he was like 10. You know, he rammed it down there, shot it, and then he caught a shark, all in the same thing, you know. So it was like, wow, his dad was so happy, and he he was so smile, he was smile ear to ear, and I'm thinking, he's never going to forget that. He will always be a fan of my company and and what we're trying to do here. So, you know, it's just it's just a matter of me getting out there and showing people what I got. And right now, I have a lot of people out there just blasting bait all over. So, you know, like I said before, they're like my worker bees and. And hopefully they contact, come in contact with kids from the city, you know, as they're out there. Oh, hey, check this out, you know. Hey, yeah. that's something I've never seen before. Oh, Talk a little bit about your customers and some of the success they're having and the feedback you're having. I know you have some folks in New Zealand, but you, you've got you've got customers all over the U.S. as well. You were saying you just moved a couple down here into Texas last week or something like that. Yeah, I got, uh, I mean, just about everywhere, Every everybody that buys one has uh, nothing but good things to say about it. Um, you know, I pretty much, you know, I don't have I don't have any people calling me up and say, hey, this thing doesn't work or this thing's a piece of junk. You know, they, they pretty much just say, this is the best thing I ever bought. I can't believe it. Thank you so much for making a great product and a, a quality product. I get that a lot, you know, because they're just so happy to put their hands on something. They know they can beat up and throw around a little bit and it's not going to break, you know. And that's, to me, you know, that's half the battle. If you can make a quality product, that means that your customers are going to stick around for a long time. Because if it doesn't break, they're going to keep using it. A lot of people buy things and, they, you know, they it breaks after they use it for the second year. And all of a sudden it sits in the garage and they never fix it. They never buy another one because they were disgusted with the first one. So, you know, they, they stray away from their activity that they used to either enjoy or, or had to do. You know, now I'm building something that, hey. You know, not only you enjoy it, you want to use it, and, hey, it don't break, and I can lend it to my friends, and they're not going to break it. And, hey, I might even be able to rent this thing for the weekend and, you know, make some money off it, whatever. But, you know, that all comes from making a quality piece of equipment, and I think that's what I'm most proud of is that, you know, I build the thing from scratch, and and uh, I get so many good responses that it just – it makes me want to focus on every individual one and making sure they're, you know, they're perfect before they go out the door because I know the guy that's getting it when he sees it is going to say the same thing every time, you know. So, you know, that's an inspiration for me to just keep going and, and keep building them and making them better. And hopefully every year we'll just keep making them a little bit better and, and uh, you know, just progressing. You know, as the company grows, we're going to grow. So, and as the com- as the company goes, I- I'm pretty sure that the bait caster is going to change around a little bit. But, you know, we're always going to try to maintain the quality of our product, and uh, you know, keep with the integrity and everything. So it 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 it's, it, it does what we say and 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 last you a lifetime. I mean, that's that's really what this thing. This is a lifetime buy. You buy into Bunker Up Fishing, you're a customer for life, and. And you'll be using it for the rest of your life. You'll pass it to your kids. They'll pass it to their kids. You know, your grandkids will be using this thing. So I just want them to buy my tackle and my molds and my rigs. Um, but as far as the unit's concerned, I don't need you to buy five of them. You know, I want you to buy one and be happy with the one you got and be part of the team and just keep buying my bullets. <laughs> yeah, can you talk a little bit about the, the rigging? Because there is a little bit of probably a learning curve there because it's not – 
you know, it's not hook the, uh, the, 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 the thread thin through the back and, and, and pop them in there. You're, you're, you're fishing with a, a custom rig, uh, formed and your, the bait's formed around the hooks system and that's frozen and needs to be kept frozen so that everything stays together when it's shot out literally of a cannon. Yeah, I mean, you could, uh, um, out, there's so many rigs you could put in there. You could put topwater plugs in there. Uh, you can put flounder rigs in there. Whatever you want to put in there, you can connect to the sinker. The sinker is just a, the vessel that gets you, you know, it acts with the tube. It acts as the vessel that gets you to where you want to be. Whatever you want to stick in that tube is up to you. Um, I don't recommend trying to fish for flounder 300 yards offshore because they got a soft lip. And, then, you know, chances are by the time you get him halfway in, he's going to pop off. But, you know, just about any other species is going to be, in your ballpark, as far as you know, what type of rig you want to put in. Hey, you want to go for stripers? Put a striper rig in. Put monofilament in there. A smaller hook. Uh, you know, red drum. Pretty much the same thing. Not a blue fish and, and sharks. You're going to want to keep the wire in there. Any kind of toothy critters that you know you're going to go for. But uh, basically, drop the sinker in there. Hook up your rig. We give you six rigs with the unit, but uh, that, we're not holding you to that. You know, I mean, it's it's. It's a uh, it's a system that allows you to expand on your fishing knowledge and what you want to do and and how you want to incorporate that. I think that's really a really cool aspect of it. That I'm not just giving you something that you got to do it my way. You could take my my blaster and utilize it to fit your needs. So um, a lot of guys are figuring that out now, you know. And they, they you know they get back to me, hey man, I did this. I, I hope. I hooked a whole bunch of lines, laid them on the beach, and I blasted the bull, and it yanked out 20 baits. You know, I caught six fish on one cast. You know, that's the type of stuff that they're doing with my wow. system. So it, I did not realize it was that flexible because I just saw some of your videos where you had kind of the bait frozen in like a bullet shape, and uh, and you were catching a few sharks. I didn't realize you had that much flexibility. Oh yeah, you could you could throw a live bait down the barrel. Dump a cup of water down there. Um, <laughs> make sure the valve shut. Dump a cup of water. Throw a live whatever down there. Hook them in the tail, and you'll blast that fish 150 yards. And now you got a live fish on the end of your line, which I mean, normally you wouldn't be able to throw that 15 feet. You know, wow. you know, even though it's not going to be a 300-yard cast, it's still going to be a really good cast with a really great bait. And, yeah, you're uh, selling me on this right now. I already wanted one. <laughs> I try not to make the show an infomercial, but this is my genuine interest here in this. I mean, first of all, there's just a certain amount of redneck cool factor to it. I mean, any any boy that ever played with a potato cannon thought, what else could I do with this technology? And here's an answer. I mean, you know, we're not using Aquanet hairspray for a propeller reason compressed air, but actually I know people that have made compressed air uh, potato cannons. So now instead of just wasting food, we actually have the ability to acquire food with this. Um, I, I just think it's one of the coolest things I've ever seen, which is why, I, you know, I, I'll just tell the audience right now, you're like one of maybe three or four people this year that we went out and acquired as a guest. Generally, we only take guests that come and ask to be on the show. We usually don't recruit guests, so that tells you how cool I think this is. Now, I, I saw you on YouTube, but you've actually done quite a bit of, and had quite a bit of media exposure over this, right? 
Yeah, we uh, we filmed the show with uh, the Animal Planet, which is supposed to be airing this July 18th, but it's that's tentative date, and they keep changing it. So you know, we'll see when they decide they they want to put it on. But they're airing it overseas, and they're getting great ratings because they keep playing it. So it's like you know, why aren't you playing it here in the United States? I I, I you know I filmed it almost two years ago, and it's been played probably ten times overseas. And I'm making a lot of sales there, so obviously they wouldn't keep playing it if it wasn't great ratings. And, you know, we keep getting back to the people in the United States here and say, hey, listen, why don't you play my show? Maybe you'll increase your ratings. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's one of those things where, come on, man, just put it out there. No doubt. Um, where, where is it being? Is it being played in New Zealand and, and Australia? Or? They played it in New Zealand Australia, and they just hit South Africa because a guy just emailed me, wants to be a distributor there. And then I just a big wholesale distributor just contacted me right as uh, you was getting on the phone with you, and he wants to be a supplier. So you know the interest is going off the hook. Their phones must have been popping off the line when the thing hit the TV wow. tonight. So you know it's just a matter of time. And uh, you know I just I look forward to uh, uh, just getting involved with fishermen in general, finding out what they fish for in their country. And trying to adapt new new concepts to the sandblaster. I mean, it's like I said, you could do whatever you want with this thing. You know, we're just giving you the technology to get it out there. And uh, I think people are starting to realize that it's not just that. It's not just hey, I stick my I stick a big bait with a big weight in here and I blast it out there. Well, hey, you could do whatever you want. You can do this, and this is what we catch. But if you're fishing for a certain type of fish in your country and you want to catch them. Throw that thing in there. Throw that bait in there. Throw that type of leader in there. See what happens. I think you'll be surprised. And, you know, um, I say this all the time, you know, getting back to the potato gun, you know, I get every week somebody comes up to me and says, hey, man, this is a potato, just like a potato gun, ain't it? You ever put potatoes in there? I'm like, I'm like, hey, man, did you ever catch a fish on a potato? <laughs> you know, they're looking at me like, duh. You know, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm a fisherman, man. This is a fishing launching system. You see what I'm catching, don't you? you yeah. Know? It's just so, and it gets back to that, you know, that you, what you just said before about the redneck thing. You know, it is a, it is an old school redneck uh, country boy thing that was done by us when we were kids and, you know, just blasting potatoes and golf balls and whatever you could do. So I think that had a lot to do with us when we started that we already had knowledge and how to build something like that. It was just a matter of trying to figure out a way to get the line attached where you don't get any knots in your line and you can get it out as far as you can. And then that's the key to our system. You know, we're blasting a bait 300 yards, but when you pull it in, you have no knots in your line. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's key. I mean, that is just unheard of. If you threw your line out, I guarantee you, if we were on the beach, and you were next to me, and I blasted 80 baits, and you blast, and you casted 80 baits, I guarantee you 30 times that you reeled that rod in with a bait on, you would have some kind of knot in your line, whether it be twisted up in a sinker or just wrapped around in a circle. You know, with my system, it's like one out of 80 times that we blasted. And, uh, you know, that's, that's where the difference is. It's not just getting your bait out there, but when it's out there, you know that you – you know, you you're you're in a, you're putting yourself in a position where, hey, I know that my bait's on the bottom and it's not tied up in a knot and it's there yeah. and it's waiting okay. and it's intact because that's the other thing that happens too is you get a a bait out that far sometimes 
sometimes you'll throw it off without realizing it, and you're sitting there basically fishing with a bare hook. I've I've, I've had I, I think anybody that's surf fished has had that experience before. Uh, you know, nothing's touched it, and you you have a bare hook when you bring it in, and it was really smooth. Now, when I saw it, the first thing I thought as a guy that likes to catch sharks is sharks, 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 sharks. This is the this is the shark bomb right here, but. You know, I get on your site and I see people with reds and stripers and big rays and skates. I mean, so this is really a large fish catching tool is what this is. It's not really a shark fishing tool. And we don't catch small stuff because our bait is eight inches long. Okay. Sure. <laughs> so it's like, you know, it's a whole different attitude when we hit the beach because now, you know, we used to put our lines out there, drink a couple beers, you fall asleep. You know, maybe a big ray might drag your line into the water and you lose your rod as you're sleeping because you don't think you're going to catch anything. So you're not even really watching your fishing rod. You know, now when we blast it, when we blast bait, it's a, you don't take your eye off the rod. You know, I mean, you know, we're jumping over each other. You know, everybody's focused like, like eagles on the tips of the rods because, you know, we know at any second something can happen and it's, it's a totally different way of fishing. And it just totally changes your attitude about being there. I mean, if that's not a selling point, I don't know what is. Because I'll tell you one thing. I caught, I fished a lot at night, too. And at night, like you said, you throw your line, you can't see anything. You have no idea what you've done. So you said, okay, man, that was that felt good. That was a great cast, but is my bait still on? And then 45 minutes later, you don't get a bite, and you're thinking, man, I bet you I threw my bait off. Yeah. You know? So you pull it in, you're unsure, you're still going, you still don't know the answer because you're guessing. And, you know, take that guesswork out of it and say, hey, I know when that thing hits the water, my bait's still on. And within the first 15, 20 minutes, I know I got a really good shot of catching something. Now, if you're a real high crab area and you know a lot of crabs in the water, a lot of times the crabs will pick that bait clean in about 30 minutes. So we don't check, we don't move our baits for 45 minutes. That's that's our cardinal rule. Blast it. Don't touch that thing for 45 minutes because chances are your bait's still on and you're still in the game. So, you know. could you talk about the class of like the the type of rods line class that you're you're generally using here? I mean, uh, I do a lot of you know wade fishing with with stuff that's not much bigger than we used to use to catch trout with around your area. Uh, we're we're definitely taking things up here and it also the, it looks to me like this is really uh ideal for a spinning reel like a bait casting reel probably is not the thing to use here well you can't use a bait caster because it's going to backlash it just it doesn't spin as fast as it needs to spin so you know the, you, you always have to use a long casting spinning spool which is you know there's there's many different types of reels out there but you know we're eventually going to get a company to make us a reel that's really big, you know, and designed specifically for what we're doing. But for right now, there's a couple you can use, Fenor 8500s, uh, the Pens, you know, the, um, um, any kind of Shimano makes a pretty good reel. I mean, it has to be a large casting spool spinning reel with a large capa- line capacity, you know, roughly 400 to 500 yards of line. So when you blast it out there, 300 yards, you still have some kind of line on there to fight the fish when he makes his first run. So, um, you know, as far as that's concerned, spinning casting, long casting spinning spools, and a short fighting stick, you don't need a long fishing pole anymore. We use seven-foot ugly, one-piece ugly sticks with big eyelets, and uh, those things just work. They bend nice. They, 
you know, you got a lot of pressure on the fish. Um, they're just bulletproof. You beat the heck out of them. They just don't break. And they don't cost a fortune either. That's the other nice thing about that rod. Uh, they're only in your, you know, in your pocket for 60 bucks on those things. So, you know, basically with the rod, you can buy yourself a decent reel, a rod, and the line. We like to use pro line, but you can use any braided line you want. We use 80 pounds, anywhere from 45 to 80 pound braid. Um, so for the whole package, you're basically looking out for a decent rod and reel, a reel and rod and line, probably about 225, mm-hmm. and you're good to go. I mean, you know, now you're not spending. I, I along with other guys, I had thousands of dollars worth of fishing poles with reels. I couldn't cast more than 100 yards. So what's that doing for you? You're spending all that money on that high price tackle that really doesn't get you where you wanted to go anyway. So what's the point? I'd rather buy a reasonably priced reel and rod that I don't have to worry about casting now, so it's cheaper. And now I got my tool that's going to get me out where I need to go. So I'm telling you what, you catch two sharks, you even catch one 200-pound shark with this thing, and you're looking at a black tip, that's $8 a pound. Okay? Mm-hmm. So yep. do the math. You got $150 fish, you just paid for that system in one cast. So. Yep. Uh, it's, you're not doing that by throwing your line off the beach. I don't care what anybody says. I've been to the beach for 10 years fishing. I've thrown it out 100 yards. I had a couple decent sharks, but nothing like I get now. I mean, it's just... Well, the truth is, it's, it's kind of a weird uh, counterintuitive thing for people that haven't done a lot of fishing. You go to a really, really light bait, you, you can only cast so far. As you start to increase the size of a bait in a way you can cast further... Once you go up a certain size, it actually starts to come back down the other way. So you give me a a medium action, fast taper with a one-ounce weight, maybe a two-ounce weight. I mean, I could put that thing way out there without a lot of effort. You go up and you start trying to throw a six-ounce weight, uh, an eight- to ten-inch bait. I don't care how long your rod is. It gets actually harder to cast further with those larger baits where we, we kind of think the other way around, more weight, more momentum, more distance, but uh, it's it's just not the case. As you go up, you hit this kind of like a, a bell curve where you can, it, you got more and more distance, then it's pretty much the same, and it starts to come back down. Yeah, so yeah. a lot of guys that say they can cast 100 yards, well, when you put a big bait on, they're going to cast 70, 75. Yeah, you reach the point of diminishing return. You know, you're going you're gonna to be going out there, you're going to say, okay, even even our bullets – you know, they're frozen, they're in ice, and we recommend 90 pounds of pressure, okay? So now you say, okay, I want to go further. I want to put 150 pounds of pressure in there okay? <laughs> because I want to get a little further. Because so, he's the kid that pumped his Daisy BB gun 29 well, times, yeah. right? But what happens is then they put 150 pounds in, and it starts blowing off the ice. Sure so it does. Now you're starting to lose distance because you're you're damaging – you know, the the makeup of the, the mold. So, you know, like you just said, there's that comes into play in every type of situation when you're fishing, not just the throwing off the beach, in our system as well, but our system gets you, you're already way out there. So, you know, if, you're getting, if you get a 200-yard cast, it's still way better than you could ever throw out with oh, yeah. what you're saying. So, you know. Now, on that, there's times where you might look out there, and look where the you can see a lot of times from shore you can see where the brakes are you can 
tell where that, that last main sandbar is and where that drop-off is. So I imagine if I ended up saying, I really want to hit about 250, I can do that just by backing down how much pressure I'm using. Yeah, and, and how fast you open the lever with your hand. You can dictate. Okay. See, it's really like casting, but you're using your hand. So you know how you whip your pole real hard? Well, you yeah. you whip that handle forward real hard, and you're going to get the best cast. Now, if you just lope that handle like you would lope your fishing rod, you're going to go half as far. So mm. you, you can utilize it both ways. You can drop the pressure, or you can open the valve slower. So, I mean, I was just out last week. I was down the beach, and kites. there's a kite surfer coming up, right? So I'm like, oh, boy, here we go. He's, he's in the waves, and... He has no idea my line is way out there, and he's going to get caught in it. And as I'm looking at him, I said, oh, man, look at that pile of bait. And there was a pile of bait about 250 yards offshore, big pile of bunker. I'm thinking, man, i got to get a bait out there right in the middle of that because them sharks are right behind that bunker. So I'm putting it down there. Here comes the surfer. I'm thinking, man, I can't shoot it because he's coming up. Hit him. <laughs> to shoot at him so I, I held into him. I said just don't get caught in my inner line so I can get this bait out when you go by and he got caught in it and he had a deep clip and he you know went to the side and the minute he got past my shooting zone I was like wham I dropped the hammer on that caster I dropped that bait right in the middle of the bunker 250 yards offshore and within a minute I had a shot start. Wow. so it was like you know those types of situations are just priceless. You, there's no way you're going to ever be able to get to that bunker in time. By the time you figure out to get your kayak out and your thing, and your, I mean, you're flying a kite or a remote control boat, there's no time. I mean, they drift so fast in that current that they're out of your sight in a matter of minutes. So, you know, it's one of those situations where when you've got something like the Sandblaster, that's now free. That's, you're in the game, you know. Yeah. You know, that, yeah. that, that thing isn't beyond your control. So what's your success rate of catching, you know, at least one or two big fish, you know, per trip? Is it 70 percent? Is it 80? I, 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 I blasted 75 to 80 baits. I lost count. I know I was over 70. Uh, and every one I blasted, I had a bite. Huh. Every time I casted it, I got a bite. There was a guy alongside me on the beach the one day I shot 17 baits, and he said, I watched you all day, man. You got a bite every time you shot it. I said, yeah. You know, is anybody else on this beach getting a bite every time they cast out? No. I mean, just look at them. They're, they're sitting in their chair. Their line is even in the water, you know, because they, they just give up. It's like, wow, how many times am I going to go down there and rig up this, this expensive bait that I just bought at the tackle store? And they either have it thrown off or, or nibbled off by a little fish or eaten up by crabs, you know. And why not just buy something that gets you a piece of bait out there that you know, even if the crabs start picking at it, it's going to last a half an It'll hour. It'll take them a while. In fact, they might actually attract uh, a game fish for yeah, you. Exactly. They're there jacking around with it and... Yeah, definitely. Exactly. When a big fish comes up and see it, that's a combo deal for them. Oh, man, a crab and a fish. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, that's the food chain. That's the ocean. That's, that happens all the time whether you got a hook on your line or not. Sure it does. You know, there's a big piece of dead bait on the bottom, and crabs are picking at it. Them sharks are going to come and eat the crabs and the bait. So, you know, it's, you're right. You're absolutely right. And, you know, a lot of times we put chum 
you know, we'll grind up bait and put right inside the mold. We put blood or bunker juice or whatever we can find and dump that in uh, to add to the slick. So when the ice melts, it actually creates a little slick. So, you know, just a lot of good. That way you're putting some bait in the water, but if somebody's waiting or whatever, you're putting the bait 300 yards out there. You're not chumming the freaking first gut. Well, no, it's it's not even about that, you know. You know, where we fish, you're not supposed to be swimming anyway. Oh, okay. You know, it's not, you know, I fish on beaches that are primarily designated for fishing and recreation. So there's no lifeguards, you know, and, you know, I think that's, you know, a lot of people nowadays are trying to, they're trying to move in onto the recreational beaches because they're sick of carrying their, their, their gear to go to the regular beach. So, you know, they're they're sort of infringing on our our turf because you know they don't do anything they go out there and read a book and bring their dog well hey that spot could be taken up by somebody that's sitting in line waiting to get on the beach that likes fishing or kayaking or something yeah we could tell you're from the northeast where you actually have crowded beaches because like down here in texas if you go down to uh to Freeport, there's like a four-mile stretch of beach that, you know, the college kids hang out and everybody yeah. swims on, and you can drive, it's one of the few places left you can drive on the beach, and you, you head north back toward Galveston, and then there's like 19 miles of uh, unmaintained coastline, and you can go anywhere you want there fishing. If you can't find a spot to be alone, you're not trying, man, so oh, yeah. well, it's interesting because, you know, I'm from the area myself, and I know that the population density differential is, is pretty big. Well, the thing is, like, some of the parks we fish in, like Assateague Island, it's it's that long as well, you know, it's that long. Yeah. I mean, but they only allow 150 trucks on that whole beach. Oh, that's awesome. So, you know, everybody has a great spot. Oh, I get you. So if I'm there playing with my dog or whatever... It's not that I'm taking space up that you could be using. It's that I've actually taken a spot that now someone can't get onto the island. I, right. I see it's only that. one truck on, one truck off. Ah, so yeah, we have some lakes like that. They control how many boats are allowed on them. Yeah. I so now you got a guy that really wants to enjoy the beach the right way, and he can't get on the beach because you got a lazy person that doesn't want to carry their stuff out to the, to the public beach. And they want to take up a spot. And, you know, they have every right to be there. Sure they do. Sure they do. But, but I, I can see why you'd feel that way. Right? Yeah, it's, it's not it's, it's not much different than when we're out hitting a we'll – hit, we'll hit like a school of uh, of hybrid stripers out on a lake, and they'll be surfacing, and we're just nailing them left and right. And some, some jerk will come, like, plowing in with a jet ski right in the middle of the school and go, are they biting? Yeah. He has every right to be there, but come on, man, you know? And it's like the answer is, well, not now. Yeah, and a lot, and the beaches that I fish on, you really can't be on there unless you got your line in the water, and especially at night, you have to have a line in the water to stay out on the beach at night. So a lot of these people are taking sinkers, tying them to their line, and just throwing it in the water and reading a book. You know? So you know, there's no hook on the line, and they, well, if you're not going to fish, why don't you let somebody come out here that wants to fish, kayak or surf or you know, because there's no lifeguards there. Yeah. So the fish, the, the swimming aspect of it is basically just to cool yourself off for a minute and don't go in over your waist, you know, yeah. because nobody's going to save you. And, yeah. uh, you know, and then I get some of these people that come up, you know, they're out there reading a book and stuff. And then when I pull up a big shark on the beach and I either got to deal with it or get the hook out, maybe it bleeds a little bit and does something that they don't like. They don't they, like it. They start going, hey, uh, what are you uh, 
And it's like, well, what are you even doing out here? Okay, because you don't have a fishing rod. You're not enjoying, you're not, you're not utilizing the ocean for what this section of beach is supposed to be used for, recreation. You're just sitting there complaining about guys who are having fun utilizing it. <laughs> Look so, at that horrible man killing a shark. I mean, and there's yeah. nobody that has more respect for the ocean or fish than myself. You know, we make it a point to get them in as fast as we can without as much stress on the fish as possible, you know. And, uh, you know, they're always the ladies out on the beach with champagne glasses when there's not supposed to be any glass on the beach. Uh, you know, they bring out. Yeah, you, their, could, they, you could definitely see the difference. Yeah, just... they, they bring out their stuff that is totally against the rules. Yeah. And they yell at the guy who's trying to catch a shark, you know. Yeah, horrible man has got blood on the beach. Yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. I Now, it, on that note, I know that you guys have a letter from the ATF saying this is a casting device. Yeah. It's not a firearm. Yeah. Go away and leave me alone. But do you ever get people with, is that legal and, and that kind of thing going on in those situations? Of course. You know, we've got some we've got some areas that we had to fight for. Even Aztec Island, you know, we, uh, we made an agreement with them that, hey, we're a legitimate piece of fishing equipment and we have to have a space available for us. Not only for us, but anybody with a handicap in general that, you know, I sell these things to wounded warrior guys that... You know what? That's a great point. You know, that can't throw out anymore, and they want to get back in the game. Well, hey, you know what kills me? Our country, they say, okay, you can go over there and shoot people and kill people with guns, but when you come back here, you can't use an air cannon to go fishing. <laughs> that, to me, is totally insane. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like, this guy's willing to give up his life for us, and when he comes back here, you're going to throw him off the beach because he has an air cannon because he can't throw out anymore because he lost his arm in a in a firefight? I mean, and that's basically where we came at, at the, you know, the park service with, with, and a few other things that we thought were, you know, good, good talking points. And, you know, they agreed with us and now they gave us a section of beach. So, you know, it's just a matter of, of presenting your case in the right way and, and letting them know that, hey, we're not going anywhere. Okay. Because yeah. the federal government says we're allowed to be used in commerce and we're not a threat to national security and it's not a weapon. So, yeah, it's not. End of story. I don't care what your state says. You have to go by the federal patent and ATF laws. You cannot just make up the laws as you and get. decide it's a gun. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, so you know, we're gonna we got a couple other little battles we have to battle out, but you know, we're we're looking forward to it. I'm not. I, I got to stick up for my customer base when they, you know, they live in a state that necessarily frowns upon some of the things that we're doing, and I can't let them. You know, just sit there and, and and be treated like that. Well, and somebody could say, "Well, you could you could hurt somebody with it." Well, give me a good uh, a good casting rod and a, and a, a two ounce bait casting weight, and I can knock somebody out at fifty yards with it exactly. if I wanted to. And just because stop- you could hurt with somebody with something doesn't mean that it's a it's inherently a weapon. I could drive over you with my F three fifty too. Yeah, I, so that's just a nonsensical argument there. You sound just like I do. I, I've actually, <laughs> I've actually said that point. If you gave me an eight ounce weight with a fishing rod, I'll sling it at your head and you're dead. Okay. <laughs> I, I could probably hit you about fifty yards out, pretty, pretty much uh, about four out of five times too. Exactly. I mean, a very, a very, and you know what? A fishing rod in general is a slingshot. 
Yeah. That's what I was just saying, you grew up riding it. You probably, as a kid, threw apples at each other off the end of a sapling. I mean, that was... God, yeah. Yeah, you could, you could put a, 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 a welt on your buddy from 75 yards at one of those. <laughs> I tell you what, more people are, are hurt by surfers and surfboards banging into their heads and getting bit by dogs on the beach, you know, that shouldn't be there, that aren't on chains. And, you know, all these things are happening on the beach that they ignore, you know. Yeah. But when something comes out that's actually used for fishing, now all of a sudden certain people have a problem. Well, that's not going to happen, and we're going we're gonna to do our best to change their minds. So, you know, that's just a battle, like I said, we look forward to. And, and uh, I have so many other great things, you know, that are coming out of this that that's not really high on my priority list, but yeah. it's definitely one of my priorities to stick up for my customers if they have a problem in a certain area. So... Yeah. Very cool. Well, I mean, the letter from the ATF is a huge thing because that's – well, I think it's a gun. Well, the ATF says it's not. Okay, done. So now – and I'm in my state, they would probably, you know, ask where to get one for themselves. Uh, we, have a, we have a pretty, uh, a pretty uh, you know, uh, uh, open state when it comes to things like this. Um, where do people get one of these things? I know they can, they buy them directly from you. Do they do they have them in bait shops anywhere? Or do you have distributors, or are you all just doing just direct sales right now? Well, we're doing uh, direct sales right off the internet. www.bunkeruppfishing. B u n k e r u p f i s h i n. No g. Fishing. Okay. Dot com. And uh, you can go on there and buy the deluxe package, the, the basic package, any gear you want to go along with it. Uh, we're in a couple bait and tackle shops, um, one in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and also in uh, um, Assateague Island and Bucks Bait and Tackle. Um, but, you know, we're spreading out. Our main focus right now is to get some, uh, some manufacturing uh, facilities set up in these other two countries. Uh, because it's going to be a huge market for us. I can pretty much handle all the orders coming through here right now, so it's not a big deal. And, uh, you know, once we get to a certain point, of course, we're going to be in a lot more bait shops. But for right now, I mean, if you want the product, you just go on the website, and we'll ship it out to you as soon as we can. Uh, it usually takes about uh, three or four days after you order it. To oh, wow, that's fast. I was, I was just going to ask you your turnaround time, and my other question was going to be, what's the difference between the basic and the deluxe? Well, the basic is this. You're going to get the, the, the sandblaster. You get a six-pack of bait molds. You get a six-pack of rigs with the sinkers and the hooks. Uh, you get a compressor to pump it up and uh, uh, some shock leaders for the barrel. And basically, that's it. That's, that's all you really need to go fishing. The deluxe package, you're going to get a rig holder. Now, this rig holder is specifically designed to hold your rigs at the end of the day to keep them nice and neat so when you go home, they're not all in a bucket. Okay. And a mess. And we also give you a really cool tackle bag to hold a lot of your accessories. So uh, it's pretty much the same as the basic package, but you're going to get a tackle bag and that rig holder, uh, which is a very good value for the money. So, um, but yeah, I mean, you call up online, you you know, there's a few ways we make payments. We take checks through the mail. Um, we also uh, take PayPal. And credit cards, I can invoice you uh, with the amount, and you can just get back to me. And like I said, within three or four days after the money clears, you know, we ship it. So you'll have it within 10 days. So uh, it's a pretty good flip around time, especially for something that's handmade, you know, in the United States. You don't get that too often. So, you know, uh, we're real proud of it. And, 
you know, just looking for the snow. The snowball is just getting bigger every day. So <laughs> I'm looking forward to the challenge of trying to keep up with the order. So uh, Very, very cool, man. Well, uh, I think you'll get a new customer out of me. And uh, <laughs> I, I, it's just an excuse to go down, down south five hours a few more times a, a year. Um, <laughs> anyway, man, it's it's really awesome. Like I said, it's awesome to see what you've done. The originality of coming up with something like this, when you look at it, you kind of go like, well, why didn't somebody do that before? Because it, it makes perfect sense. And then, like I said, to see you building um, a, a, grow, a rapidly growing new enterprise you know, in, in PA's coal region is great, too, because that, that region needs what you're doing. It needs entrepreneurs. It needs this economy stimulated. It needs somebody working with kids in that area to remind them of the heritage. Because that, the her- you know, the heritage in that area is the outdoor heritage. But even there, I was surprised when I went home last, which was, oh, geez, over a decade, how, how much was lost in the, you know, 15 years I had been away. Um, so it, it's because you're doing all of those things. Usually business means we're going to to turn toward technology or something in absence of you know nature so you've got the two together and, and that's just cool and i appreciate what you've done and i appreciate you being here with us today oh it's awesome thank you for having me um you know i just uh, always love talking about the sand blasters my passion and uh, anytime i get an opportunity to you know fill people in on what we're doing i take it and uh, i thank you for having me jack it's been a pleasure well, I, I really appreciate you being with us again today, Dan. I just hit, And with that, folks, uh, it's been Jack Spirico today along with Dan Triano, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they... Seeing our food these days, you know it's on our TVs. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. Like there's nothing I can do It's the price we pay I guess when we Follow all the rules There's a better way To do this Let me show you A better way